To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch buck? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Yo, what's happening, guys? I've got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So today on the podcast, I have on AJ LaQuinta. AJ runs the Instagram page Knights of the Apex. AJ is all self-taught, uh, works on his own bows. He's gone deep down the rabbit hole of setups and, and arrows, shot execution, and we discuss all that today. So much of this, this bow hunting is about seizing opportunities and, and executing a shot under an intense amount of pressure. And, and there's no adrenaline rush, at least for me, than chasing a, a great big buck or a great big bull. And, and then it just comes down to being able to control your emotions and execute a good shot. It's such a, a major piece to the puzzle of backcountry bow hunting. And, and me and AJ had this fascinating conversation all about working on your bow or if you do take it to a shop, asking the right questions uh, we talk about practice, shot execution, and in real life scenarios. Uh, so it's just a great conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I know you guys will enjoy it too. We'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple of my sponsors. I want to thank Swagger Bipods. Uh, shooting a rifle accurately is all about your rest. Swagger Bipods, I believe, builds the best bipods and shooting sticks on the market. Uh, they have different bipods, um, their standard bipod, and then they have a bench rest bipod, uh, and they, they swivel, they're tension loaded. Uh, the standard bipod you can shoot from a sitting or a kneeling position. Uh, the bench is made for prone only, um, but it, it's all about getting a good rest, and with these bipods, you're able to track your target. If your target moves left or moves right, you're able to swivel on that bipod. Also, getting that tension back into your shoulders, that tension helps you hold steady. So they just make great products. Uh, and, and if you don't like the weight of a bipod on your rifle, it's really cool. They have a quick detach on it where you can take it off. So you're just carrying your rifle, put it on when you shoot. They also have shooting sticks uh, that are also tension loaded. So you can, you can move your aiming point up or down without resetting the sticks. Uh, they just make some great products. Right now, they're running a promo code. So if you enter Brian Barney in the checkout, you receive 20% off of their bipods and their shooting sticks, and it helps show support for the podcast. So uh, if you're in the market for some new sticks, I know rifle hunting's just around the corner. Uh, make sure to go check them out at Swagger Bipods. Uh, I'll have my daughter using them this year. I'm not sh I think we'll use the standard bipod with the quick detach on it. Uh, I think it'll be a perfect setup for we're going to go chase some deer around, do an adventure hunt with dad. Uh, so it should be a good time. We'll get her a good rest. Um, and, uh, we've been practicing with that rifle and we got a few more practice sessions before we leave, uh, but she should be dialed in. And it's just amazing, uh, these kids with a good rest, how well they can shoot. So, uh, make sure to check them out. Swagger Bipods. Again, enter Brian Barney in the promo code and receive 20% off. Uh, I also want to thank Sig Sauer Optics. Uh, Sig Sauer is building top-level optics. Uh, they they offer them at a great price point, and I'm so impressed with the clarity, the color, uh, the crispness of these, these binoculars and rangefinders. So right now, 
Uh, I'm using the their new spotting scope, which is an Oscar 8, a 27 by 55 by 80 mil objective lens. Man, this is a nice piece of glass. Uh, I can look over great distances, like up to 10 miles away. Uh, I can identify my targets and also pick out deer and elk and shadows while they're bedded in things. But I really like this this um, spotting scope. It's just a great spotting scope. I'm using their binoculars as well. Let me pull up the, the page here. I don't want to get the um, information wrong on which one this I'm using. Um, the the rangefinders too. They build the best rangefinders on the market. Um, so I'm using the 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 BDX uh, 1400, the Kilo 1400. It's a great rangefinder. It's got a powerful laser. Uh, it'll shoot through grass, uh, quick readouts, uh, crisp optics. Uh, it's just a, a a great rangefinder. And also you can get this BDX system where your rangefinder talks to your an app on your phone that talks to your rifle scope that helps you zero in every shot. It's a pretty de- neat deal they got going on. And then those binoculars that I'm using, um, they're the Zulu 9s. Uh, so I have a pair of Zulu 9s, 11 by 45s that I that I use and wear all the time. And then this year I've been using these 15 by 56s, and these things have been a game changer for me. So I don't pack these uh, in place of the 11 by 45s. But I will pack them in place of a spotting scope a lot of times. I tripod them up. And this is, you know, this is what spotted my bear that I ended up harvesting this year and created a bunch of opportunities for deer and elk. It's like uh, the perfect setup for looking longer distances. So uh, just great binoculars, super crisp, great optics for a mid-range price. So if you're in the market for some new optics, make sure to check out Sig Sauer. And with that... Check out everything we've got going on over there at Eastman's. Um, you can check out the the new Beyond the Grid. Just search on YouTube Eastman's Hunting TV. That'll come up. Uh, they're releasing some some older hunts over the last few years that I've done. Uh, make sure to check us out on the Outdoor Channel Eastman's Hunting TV. Uh, I believe um, my uh, elk hunt from last year's playing. It's a great hunt, chasing a bunch of good six points around. Really proud at how that film came out. I'm just getting better at better, better and better at telling the story. So I'm really proud of those. Make sure to check those out. Uh, check out uh, other podcasts. Um, Todd Helms is running the Wingman podcast, and then um, I'm also running the Flycast podcast. Uh, you can find those um, anywhere you can find podcasts, you know, any place you're listening to this. Um, so uh, check those out, and uh, also check out our magazines, Eastman's Hunting Journal and Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. So let's get right into this conversation. So me and AJ LaQuinta, uh, me, I'm your host, Brian Barney, uh, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yep, but thanks for having me on, man. I usually listen to you uh, on my way home from work, um, so so talking to you is uh, it's an honor to be on. Oh, dude, awesome! Yeah, thanks for uh, reaching out. Yeah, I thought you'd be the perfect guest. So tell me a little bit about yourself, AJ. Like how you got into hunting and um, Western hunting, and then Knights of the Apex. Anything I can promote <laughs> for you or whatever? Uh, give me a little background just so I know a little bit going into it. Yeah, for sure. So. 
you know, I started the page after like I, listening to guys like you. I saw you had the Lampers on the other week, you know, Dudley, Levi, like all those guys that are killers. And like you guys are out there busting your butt, like scouting, hunting, doing stuff throughout the year. Right. I'm kind of the other end of that spectrum. Right. I get to hunt like hard hunt, maybe like one, two weeks a year. And it's usually whitetail, eastern, you know, eastern whitetail. My family's from up in New York. They're big hunters. That's where I got started. Um, and uh, I got into bow hunting after college. Uh, I'm 30 now, but I got into, to, you know, my dad was a big bow hunter. His friends were all bow hunters. And, uh, you know, he, I know you're in construction. That's that's how, how I grew up, too. And, you know, he always taught me, like, you take care of your gear and you work on your own stuff and you take responsibility for it. And you can't control what's going to happen on the job site, but... Um, you know, if your gear squared away, that's one less thing to worry about. Right. And, and I just started taking that approach to my bow hunting because I was tired of going into, you know, you only get so much time to hunt and it, it could be totally thrown off if, you know, you're relying on somebody else to do the work on your bow and your gear and, and equipment for you. So I, I just, I got tired of, um, just, you know, wasting money on, on stuff that wasn't working and being relying on other people. So I started just, uh, I started the page to just kind of share that journey and just get other people kind of amped up to to work on their own equipment and and try different things and it's kind of uh, the photography aspect of it kind of took on a life of its own I, I got real into that and now it's been become a little bit bit more about just showcasing different companies and gear that you know kind of add value to to people's hunts and uh, and the community aspect of it's been great because you know people jumping on the comments like oh that works for me like try this that way and it's been really good for people to just like feed off of each other um, and their different experiences. And, and that's the cool thing with, with bow hunting, right? We all go into the woods just with whatever experiences we have and just try to apply them to the, the same ends. But we all go about it a little different. Man. Yeah. Um, well said. Good on you. Um, gosh, that's really cool. Uh, you just like you've dove into the to the bow and the inner workings and taught yourself how to work on them, which isn't easy, you know. And I'm sure like just gathering information from yeah. different yeah, sources and, and things, and then like the main part is just get twisting on that bow, just start figuring out like how it works, like uh, dive deeper into the black magic and figure out what does what and what controls what and how to how to control that accuracy with a bow. It's so smart, AJ. Yeah, exactly, and just you know talking to and, and that's kind of the the approach I, like a lot of guys it seems like try and pretend like you know there there's some massive killer and stuff and you know like I, I go out we go out hog hunting and stuff down here all the time and so we're, we're putting stuff through its paces but not like you guys out west but at the same time it's just you know learning learning your tool inside and out and there's so many guys especially here on the east coast that there's they're the type of guys where like their their bows dialed from the shop and they don't want anyone to even look at it you know they're afraid of something getting screwed up um so it's just uh it's been great getting to kind of talk to those guys and and just uh you know more people are starting to take responsibility for you know their own arrow builds their own bow builds their you know the different uh clothing systems that's another thing that that gets overlooked so much right like i know you guys know everything about that but uh just the layering systems and you know things like merino wool was unheard of years ago on the on the east coast you know um it's just whatever bass pro shop kind of had in stock right but um it's been uh it's been a, a really cool journey and getting to team up with uh with different companies and and everybody just feeding off one another it's uh it's been really rewarding for sure man way cool um 
Well, yeah, I think that's like a great jumping off point. I um, I should have just hit record in the beginning. That was a good intro <laughs> to yourself and, and what you're about. But yeah, I think that's what we focus on on the podcast is just um, the inner workings is setting up those bows and not being so intimidated by them. Um, some things you've learned a- along the way. And then I love, you know, like I like I've. When you've been doing it for so long, you kind of forget the the beginning steps, and so you've got like mm-hmm. a fresh perspective on it. You know, like you say, the 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 layering systems and clothing and gear you're gonna need um, to dial all that in and to help guys dial all that in. Like that, like that's a huge help. Um, so man, that's awesome. And so, where can guys find you? Um, YouTube page, Instagram. Uh, yeah, so Instagram is definitely where I'm most active. Knights of the Apex. Uh, nights with a K and then uh, the YouTube channel is kind of just becoming a little bit of like an encyclopedia for those frequently asked questions. I'll do a video on, on stuff that I tend to get a lot of comments and DMS asking about. Um, but yeah, Brian, what you said is exactly kind of the, the niche that I'm trying to hit. You know, there's, there's a lot that gets lost from those guys at the apex, you know, you guys that are out like killing and crushing it all the time. I think it's easy to forget you guys have forgotten more than a, most people will probably ever know about hunting, right? And um, kind of playing to that, that not playing to that niche, but trying to, to help out that that group that like they're just getting into it or they're kind of in that intermediate level. Um, but, you know, there's they're still, there's always more to learn, right? That's kind of what I try and highlight. What is there that hasn't really been covered in depth or hasn't been covered from this angle? Um, that's really what, uh, what I try to get to. Yeah, what a great niche and uh, so useful for guys. I hope so. I mean, the feedback's been great, so it's cool. It's uh, it's been really, really cool. And being able to point people to to resources like Eastman's, to Knock On, to you know Aaron Snyder over at Kafara, like you know the, that's the cool thing with the industry, right? Is we're able to reach out to one another and pick each other's brains. I know Aaron Snyder fields questions on his Instagram all the time. Like, what other industry can you really do that, right? Yeah, well, and I really think like the the tide rises all ships. Like the better the better all of us do, the you know the better Absolutely. you do. Like it's um it's just the more attention to bow hunting, you know, and to western hunting. So yeah, I think it's great. For sure, and and what's funny is I'm finding more and more, at least with my following, it's there's a lot of people out there that want to that love archery and love the they don't they don't even necessarily have the goal of ever bow hunting. But they love they they have an appreciation for bow hunting, and uh, it's really interesting. Like I, I, you talk to so many guys in the industry, and they're like, "Well, if you don't post grip and grins, right, you don't get any engagement or anything like that." And those photos, like grip and grins, are usually the least engaged photos on our page, which is kind of interesting. Like I get way more stuff from like super niche little like you know how you know tying knocking points and things like that. Um, than uh, than necessarily likes from from you know killing a big hog or anything or a deer or anything like that. So it's it, I think it's great too because that if you can get people excited just about shooting a bow and get them to the range and get them talking to and hanging out with other hunters, even if their goal is doing a total archery challenge or uh, one of those western um, those those shoots that there's so many companies going on now. Um, you know that's a great gateway drug, so to speak, for like getting into hunting and supporting hunting and supporting conservation and public land. So I think it's it's the more people we can get into just archery, the better off we all are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, spot on. Yep, well, right on, man. I'll get us started off and let's start the conversation. Cool.
Okay, I've got AJ LaQuinta on, uh, Knights of the Apex. Thanks a bunch for taking the time, man. Yeah, Brian. Thanks for having me on, man. Honored to be on here. Yeah, so, um, gosh, we started chatting before the podcast, but you gave such a good intro to your Instagram page, your YouTube, and kind of what you're all about. Uh, maybe give the listeners a quick background. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, I grew up bow hunting in the Catskills, uh, uh, or grew up hunting in the Catskills of uh, upstate New York, family of, of hunters. And, um, you know, when I, when I got into bow hunting, uh, I just found myself getting frustrated um just just being relying on other people and at the time you know we kind of forget nowadays but not too long ago like four or five years ago there weren't a ton of resources out there for learning things like proper shooting form or or really like uh proper gear reviews or equipment setup things like that um until really like dudley kind of came on the scene and started doing it but um, so, you know, I just, I, I got, I was raised in a blue collar family, worked construction and I was always taught, you know, you take care of your equipment because you can't always control what's going to go on on the job site. Right. But that's one variable you can control and you should have squared away. So I just applied that to my bow hunting and just, you know, invested in, in, in the equipment to work on my own, my own bow, my own arrows, build all that up and uh, just started sharing that on social media. And uh, it's, it's developed a little bit of a following now and it's been great because you get to interact with bow hunters from literally all around the world. We've, I've got friends in South Africa and Australia now and all throughout North America. Um, and it's it's been a really positive community. And, and the photography thing something that kind of sp- spun off off of that. But, uh, you know, I think that's probably what the page is most known for. It's uh, It's been called kind of like archery porn, right? Um, or archery Pinterest is probably the more PC way to say it. But uh, I've gotten those DMs before. But uh it's just uh, it's just about really getting people excited to to get out and shoot and hopefully you know gear up and set the goal of either doing a big hunt or you know a three D shoot or something along those lines but really just getting people into archery. Man, how cool! Uh, what what a great niche in the industry. So kind of helping guys learn about bows and bring them along on the journey. So so what were your steps like getting into working on your own bow? I know for a lot of guys and even myself when I started. It almost seems like a black magic, like you don't even understand how the bow works really, and so you never want to touch it or put any twists in the string. So what was kind of your introduction to it, or how did you learn to work on them yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, that's how I, I I was raised too, right? I was that guy, don't touch my bow. You know, like, it's good, don't even look at it, right, because you might throw it off, right? That, Like you said, black magic. Um, and it really just started small, right? You'd see a couple of videos, and I was like, you know what, let me – let me start working on my own arrows. I'm, I've always been a tinkerer and a gearhead, and uh, you know, I grew up playing sports. I would always string my own lacrosse sticks, and I'd string all the the whole team sticks, right? So I just started doing that for for bow hunting. I started just with arrows, right? And then at the time, I was starting to get into it. You know, Dudley was was starting some of his uh, uh, content. Some of the other guys in the industry were starting to put stuff. YouTube was just starting to kind of come into. Um, sort of the mainstream of the the hunting world and guys are starting to put videos out uh and you know what you learn really quick is there you can go down endless rabbit holes and everybody does things a little differently and that applies to whether you're talking arrows bow setups you know uh, clothing systems there's a depending on what your goal is and, and your skill level there's a lot of different tweaks to it 
Um, so it's it's been a lot of guess and check on on my end and just trying different things. So I try to share that through the page and, and through uh, the YouTube channel um, and just kind of explain like, hey, I started doing this, then I, I moved to this. And, you know, this is why I, I like this, but it might not work for you. And also, this is my skill level. So if you're a better shot or a worse shot than me, you might want to look at doing this. It might not matter to you. Um, you know, everything in, in the sports of balance. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a give and take with whatever equipment um, that you're you're working with. But it was really just getting hands on, uh, it, just getting hands on, trying stuff, taking that dive because, uh, you know, you, you could waste money having somebody else do stuff. And I'm by no means anti bow shop. They're the they're the watering hole. They're the um, you know, they're the foundation of the industry. I think they're absolutely phenomenal, but they're not all equal. Right. And not everybody has access to them. Um, but, you know, a, a bow press and a drawboard and a, a bits and burger jig or whatever jig you want to use, you know, you're talking a couple hundred bucks, but they'll last you your entire life. And it's just such a rewarding experience when you're able to, to work on your own stuff or, or friend stuff uh, and then take them out into the field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like experience is always the best teacher with whatever we're talking about, whether it's Western hunting or whether... Uh, you know, it's setting up your own bow experience is king, but it's, you know, it's nice to have some knowledge going into it to know what to expect or to be able to figure out what's going on. So I, I think that's a good point. And we're, we're all individuals and we all have personal preferences. You know, you can look at, look at every successful um, archer out there and, and there's more than one way to skin a cat. And, and also mm-hmm. we're all built different. I, you know, I've got a 26 and a half inch draw length. My setup is way different than a guy with a 30 inch draw length, you know, our arrow cuts are going to be different. Our spines are going to be different. Peep height, you know, everything changes. Uh, it's one of the sayings in archery. If you change one thing, you've changed it all. But I, and, and I like what you also said about bow shops. I think, um, you know, bow shops are super important, and those guys, they have so much experience working on bows, and when you're first starting, like, it's almost good to have a mentor, and, and you kind of use mm-hmm. YouTube and some of their content as, as mentors, and you were able to figure it out and, and make sense of it, uh, but I know for me, my path was different as there, you know, there wasn't much information out there, and so, like, I would go to that bow shop when I had trouble, or even when I was setting up a bow and I would just, I would let the, you know, those guys would, would help me through the process. So I would set up the whole thing and they'd help me, but even just to understand it, even if you have a bow shop, set up your bow to know how to fix something on it, to know how to tie, you know, tie in a, a, a serving knot, you know, to know how to fix things in the field or to be able to diagnose what's wrong. And you have to get really comfortable with your bow you know, if my bow is shooting left, I move my sights left. I can always move them back right, but I'm not afraid to move things on my bow because a bow, it, it's a, a bow is always moving. And so, like as the strings get hot and cold, as the strings get damp and then dry out, like things can change with the bow. So I always trust where the bow is shooting. You know, more so than 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 trust. You know, trust that my bow's on and it's something that I'm doing. But it's all just a process you have to dive into, right? Absolutely. And and I think what was also, you know, at the time when I first started the page, which is about two years ago now, there wasn't, you know, YouTube, just like, you know, we're talking bow shops, right? Nobody's perfect. You know, you're not, if you think you can go on and watch one video and you can just set up any bow that's out there right now, that's, that's not what I'm saying whatsoever. You know, there's, um, 
there, especially a couple of years ago, there wasn't a ton of transparency on there, right? Like everybody was very opinionated about, you know, what brands they liked or, or what, um, you know, what they shot and, and why they shot it. And there wasn't a lot of room for like, Hey, also technology's come a long way, even in a couple of years, right? So every flagship bow is phenomenal now. Um, and it's really about like what, brings out the most potential and feels most com makes you feel most confident as a hunter uh, or, or as a shooter or target archer or whatever it is um, versus, you know, what bow is or, or what, you know, piece of equipment is necessarily better because there's so much good stuff out there. It's really just, it's like picking your favorite ice cream, right? Everyone's got a different flavor that, that they love. Yep. And they all taste good and they all work, right? Yeah, 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 and and what you were saying too with different sizes and shapes, it's funny because you know a lot of my friends that I hunt with, and even my family, you know, they they they'll shoot. It's, I'll post videos or something, and they'll they'll be they'll be in Instagram stories, and you know, people will be like, "Dude, his form's a little off," or "Why is he using that?" or and it's like, "Hey, man, these are guys like that. They're confident in their setups, and they they kill a ton of stuff." So it, like, I'm not going to touch it because it, you know, as well as anybody, this is a head game, right? And, you know, if that guy is a guy that he knows he's only shooting 30 yards and in, like, I'm not going to go like stripping down his whole setup and build up his foundation if he's not ready for it. You know, if he comes to me, and he's like, hey, help me. Like, where should I go? What are the resources? I'm going to point them to you. I'm going to point them to, to Levi. I'm going to point them to Aaron Snyder and, and Dudley and those guys. And I'm going to help him set up his bow and, and go through his equipment for him. But if he, if what he's got is working for him, you know, on that lower budget point, I, I'm not going to mess with them, you know? And I think that's important too, just having understanding of everybody's levels of where they're at. Cause this thing is a journey and, and it varies for everybody. But if we can just lower that, that learning curve a little bit and get, give people a little bit of a leg up, which I think we've come a long way, like a hundred yard shot on a, even a 3d target a couple of years ago was unheard of. And now, you know, guys are practicing that regularly. Right. So uh, it's really cool to see uh, the advancement of everything. And I think that's one of the great things about social media for, for all of its good and bads. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and a lot of it has to do with the male ego too. Like you can't yes. step in and tell somebody something they don't want to hear. And archery, yep. archery is about consistency. It's about doing the same thing every time. And that arrow will end up in the middle. So even if you have some bad habits, if you're doing those bad habits the same every time, that arrow is going to end up in the middle. But what I always believe is that those changes to form that that hit to your ego of asking somebody for help or like I had a, a lot of good buddies that were really good shooters. So when I was having problems, I could call them and I could drop my ego and say, Hey, I, I can't get this arrow to fly right. I can't, you know, what do I need to do? You know, I've moved my rest back and forth and I can't get this thing to tune, you know, and then they would give me the next step and say, you know, uh, uh, you know, have you, have you tried moving your spacers on your cams or mm -hmm. have you, ha have you, tried uh, uh putting an extra twist in your strings when you've got like a split y yoke to kind of bring that uh tune yep. back into center so you you know they'll give you little tricks that then you try on your bow that then you learn and then you know that's a trick in your pocket that you know to fix a bow if it won't tune with just moving the rest so yeah just just little things like that uh, uh picking up those little tricks from from guys that you trust and nowadays like with social media you know, you can reach out to some pretty knowledgeable guys to get information, but 
Yeah, I think those changes to form. I always tell everybody you're going to get a little bit worse before you get better because you're so comfortable in what you're doing right now that this feels right. It feels comfortable. Anything else feels awkward. And so when you try it, your shooting in your groups goes downhill and kind of gets bigger. And so you think, well, I'm not shooting as good. I should go back to the way I was doing it. But if you believe in the process and believe in making those form changes, eventually you will rise up and be better than you were before for those form changes. Uh, changes. So I always try to remind people of that too. But uh, you're right. If, if people will only take advice if they're if they want to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. And and sometimes they got to see it too, right? Like it's so important. Like you know, my my dad is his friends are very old school. You know, heavy poundage, heavy arrows, wrist straps, right? And even just you know, they were shooting fingers for a lot of the 90s. Yeah, like, <laughs> but it was working because it was the thick. Northeast, you know, they weren't take. If you could shoot the vitals at 30 yards, that's pretty much the farthest shot you were able to take because it was so thick anyway. Um, you know, but then we did a total archery challenge last year, and uh, by the end, you know, I, I had a bunch of 12 rings, and he was missing a lot of arrows. So he was, uh, you know, he he. It was one of those things where like he had the same realization I did a couple of years ago. Like there's there's levels to this stuff, and you know I know he swapped out all of his gear, started you know working, and and uh, he just ordered a press himself. Um, and he's shooting more consistently than he ever has, and he's a good hunter. He's actually he's a great hunter to begin with. So now he's got that extra confidence of you know being able to to know his gear and if also knowing those thresholds as to the confidence, right? Like back not too long ago, if you saw a little serving separation or maybe like a, uh, you know, like a little fray in your D loop that might get in your head if you don't know your system well enough. But if you've worked on your bow and you've shot it enough and you you're living and sleeping with that thing, right? You know, the tolerances of it and what you can get away with, so to speak. Right. And, and that like, okay, this isn't going to, actually impact my shots at you know hunting distances or maybe it will depending on your skill level right and uh, what you said you know knowing being able to admit to your own ego like what do you need to improve and what do you need to do better it's so it's so important because you can't learn if you're not open to it yeah that's it i i know when i first started i i shot way too long of a draw length and nobody steps in and tells you or lets you know you know because you're not asking for help you're not accepting it but once yep. once i'd have somebody look at me and go hey am i leaning back do i have a z formation shooting this bow and they go yeah you're really leaning back your draw length's too long for you you know and i thought you know a, a, a 27 and a half would be fine and as you start archery, like you, you want that energy and you want that speed, and so you're trying to shoot as long a draw length. But you know, the longer you shoot, you realize that that it isn't speed, it isn't energy that you want. You want forgiveness. Forgiveness is yes. the most important thing with a bow setup, and and that goes to you know, again, there's a lot of good guys in a shop that can set up your bow. But remember, too, that they can't spend eight hours on your bow. They're going to spend an hour tuning it to the best of their abilities. And a lot of these guys, you know, a grip is is so important on a bow. Grip is your connection to the bow. Grip is what decides, you know, if that that bow is going to – you know, it's really where you can torque that bow left or right and really affect the shots. And so a lot of guys go into the shop – and they start shooting with their grip, and their grip isn't good, and so the bow won't tune. And so then the, the bow tech will grab the bow and goes, here, well, I'll tune it for you. And he tunes it for his grip, which is a pretty good grip. Mm-hmm. But every bow has to be tuned to the individual, and it has yes. to be set up 
in a forgiving manner. And so that's not just shooting one hole through paper, two holes through paper. It's shooting hundreds of holes through paper and seeing the tendencies of the bow and going, okay, well, it gets bullet holes about every time, but when I do miss, I've got a rip to the right. I'm going to move that thing just a little bit. It's just trying to find, at least for me with my bow, I'm trying to find the ultimate forgiveness, and that's what creates accuracy for me. Yes, I'm so happy you touched on grip because I think that it's the most overlooked thing, I would say, in at least in terms of like what I get DMs and like when I see people in the range and things like that. Because a lot of guys, like I shoot a neutral grip, meaning, you know, I set my bows up so my arrow is firing down the center of the riser, right? And uh, and I know you shoot the Matthews when I when I was shooting the Matthews too, it was the same thing. I, I would set up my knocking point so it was directly in between the two cams, and then I would set my rest height off of that. That way I'm getting the most forgiveness and the most efficiency out of those cross center cams because Matthew's designed those bows so the arrow shoots through the middle, right? So that's that's how I said. And then I would set with my grip, right? You make the, the easiest way I tell people to check their grip is just at full draw, take a peek up at your top cam and see if your string is riding on the outside of those cam tracks. Because if it is, you're probably, well, not probably, you're definitely torquing that bow in one direction or another. And, you know, you, you, the easiest thing or probably the best thing to do if your bow's already um, set up properly is to, to find a repeatable way to correct that grip so you're not torquing it one way or another. But if not, you may have to just either play with those top hats or spacers or uh, if you have an adjustable cable guard, play with that to get those paper tears. And, you know, your arrows, you can get some forgiveness out of it as well, depending on the lengths. But I think that, that a lot of people they think that their grip is good just because it looks good in a photo, but they're not really taking into account what it's actually doing to their bow when they're at full draw. Yeah, that's a good point for sure. Yeah, one, like you, like you say, again, we're all just built different with different palms yep. and different hands. And like uh, one guy's neutral grip uh, may not be another guy's neutral grip, mm -hmm. you know. But yeah, the biggest thing is to relax your front hand, to relax those front fingers. Let that bow just fall in between your lifeline in there. And you want to – you don't want to have any pressure from – you know, the finger side of your hand or the thumb side of your hand, either pressure from either one of those sides on the grip will then torque that bow. And when you're really torquing the bow, I mean, you can definitely tune to the grip. But if you're torquing that bow, you're not getting the most performance out of that bow. Um, you know, and and, Absolutely. and two, not all these bows are similar coming off factories. So, you know, like you can get mm -hmm. the very same bow and one will tune far outside and one will tune far inside. And part of that forgiving setup too is is not just moving that rest until that that arrow fires and you get a bullet hole through paper you also want it to go through the center shot of the bow so like you're saying yep. 13 sixteenths or three quarters of an inch you know within tolerances away from the riser that way that that arrow is right in that power path of the string you know and yep. so um, you know, some of these bows that I set up, I mean, I've had them tune inside, I've had them tune outside. And so, yeah, I mean, I, like on a Hoyt, you can yoke tune where you can put more twists in one of the cable to bring, uh, the yoke over to bring the tune over, or just like you stated, like moving the top hats, which is the spacer on the cams. So that way you can get that tune to be right in the middle and then find that forgiving tune on that bow 
I think that's the, the, the best way to set up your bow. And two, like if you have the wrong arrow spine, your bow's never going to tune right. You know, you got to yeah, have absolutely. the right arrows that are matched to your bow, which, you know, there's a lot of different charts out there and archer's advantage. And then just toying around with your cuts a little bit on your arrows. But that, that spine, those arrows matching your bow is so important, too, to good arrow flight. Yeah, and when people ask, like, where to get started, I always tell them arrows because it's, as far as, like, a cost-effective perspective, right, it's kind of the cheapest gateway into working on your own setup, right? Like a, a Bitsenberger jig or what most of the jigs are running anywhere from, like, 40 to, you know, 100 bucks, but they last, right? So, and you can have a drastic impact, drastic, not drastic, drastic impact on your groups just by playing with different arrow setups. Uh, and Brian, I was going to ask you what your opinion was. I always like, as far, cause we're talking forgiveness and I tend to err on the side of, especially with modern compound bows, over spined arrows tend to tune, especially with most guys shooting mechanicals tend to tune and just be a bit more forgiving than, uh, or a lot more forgiving than under spine. So I tend to tell people to, if they don't have, you know, that time or that money to experiment with different lengths uh, of shaft and find that perfect spine to kind of air towards the overspine side of the chart. I was wondering if you had, what your take was on that. Oh, that's a really good tip, AJ. I hadn't thought of that. Like, I I know I know that that uh, uh, arrows that are, that are heavily spined like that definitely do tune better. So you're absolutely right. So, yeah, if you're not sure exactly how to spine that, that arrow to the bow or don't have extra arrows to mess around with yeah, to, to, to have that thing over spined a little bit, isn't going to hurt anything and it's going to tune pretty good in there. And also it's something to remember, like you're looking on charts and things, uh, you know, and you're looking, you're, you're shooting a 70 pound bow, but a lot of these 70 pound bows when they're set up are pulling 73 pounds and mm -hmm. you know, like, like you have to, keep that in mind when you're looking at arrow charts also point weight makes a difference and so uh, taking all those things into account and finding a forgiving arrow but yeah i think that's a great point to uh, definitely overspine not underspine on the chart even to step it up one step isn't going to hurt anything that arrow is going to tune great yeah that's at least with the arrows that i've worked with and, and i shoot mostly uh, i shoot eastons and yeah, that's what I've found as well. And same thing, right? You're, you're talking forgiveness and, and things like that. And when you start working with fixed blades, it gets a little bit more finicky depending on the setups because you, you have to deal with planing and whatnot. But those overspined arrows, you know, with more guys getting into and experimenting with more point weight, um, which personally I'm not like a, a huge fan of um, just because it hasn't it doesn't really serve me much purposes the, the way I hunt and where I hunt. But um, you know, if you are one of those guys looking to mess around with more point weight, you're definitely going to get more forgiveness if you're overspined versus if you're underspined, you're basically throwing a noodle downrange. So um, that's what I found anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I I definitely like point weight and I like front of center as I think it pulls to to the target and and also you get less wind drift for more point weight. Yeah. You know, so it drives to the target out west here. So. Yeah, um, and like you say, there's so many different rabbit holes, and again, yep. there's more than one way to skin a cat, and we all have our personal preferences, and a lot of that has to do with the places we hunt or the places we live, you know, and so, yeah, I can see how it doesn't make much of a difference for you, but for a guy like me, like, point weight's pretty important. Absolutely, and what point weight are, are you planning on running this year? I shoot a 125, but a lot of times... Okay. 
Um, I'll shoot gold tip where I can add 20 grains to the back of the yeah. insert so I can add point weight that way. And a lot of these arrows nowadays, too, is you have some different options as far as outserts or inserts that yes. you can shoot, you know, an aluminum or you can shoot a steel, you know, that weighs 75 grains. So there's just some messing around you can do there. Now, I shoot a pretty short arrow. Like, I always believe... You know, an inch past the rest, half inch past the rest, I shoot as short an arrow as I can because that short arrow will get less wind drift, you know, mm -hmm. because there's less surface area to blow sideways. And so, like, I'm always shooting a half inch to an inch past my rest um, right in there with my, my arrows. And so my arrows end up being about 25 inches long or so. Uh, so, so when I put that 125 on the front, I've got about 14 to 15% front of center. So I've got a, a, a high front of center without having to mess around with a 150 or 175. Gotcha. So yeah, we actually run similar setups. So right now I'm, I'm running 125 grain head on the front too. And then my, uh, inserts 25 grains. Um, and my arrow is actually shorter as well. It's about a 26 inch. I typically like, uh, I'll cut mine. So my, arrow shaft ends in the middle of the riser and i'm only a 28 uh about a 28 inch draw 28 and a half depending on the bow but um so yeah we actually have similar philosophies on that because yeah i'm not hunting wise right I'm, I'm shooting out to 40 50 yards maybe on on things like hogs and turkeys and stuff like that but um you know i, I still like to do you know 3d shoots and things like that where we're launching at, at further distances um, and you definitely see those that difference in the shorter arrows with some point weight. And when I when I say you know FOC and, and point weight and and guys getting crazy with it, I'm talking about like guys that want like 200 grains plus at the front of the arrow, and just because you know we we're talking forgiveness and and options. And if you you're talking about really limited options when you start getting to those high FOC numbers, just in terms of like what arrow companies and manufacturers even have for you to really test and shoot um which is why like i typically like if you're just getting into it i, I don't um you know really recommend that but if i mean if you have the means like by all go down that rabbit hole but uh it's definitely a lot harder to to kind of set up and tune and especially with higher poundage bows than that 125 to 175 grain up front um threshold yeah, that makes complete sense. Yeah, well, and, and like you say, we're all individuals. Somebody with a 30-inch yeah. draw length may have to shoot some more weight up front to get his front of yep. center right, you know? So, so yeah, no, it sounds like we're we're shooting similar setups, similar theories on uh, forgiveness. Yeah, man, um, it, it's so fun, all the different rabbit holes you can go down with, with bows. Um, so, so changing... Uh, your execution and learning that, like you say, the proof the proof is in the pudding a lot of times, like shooting with your dad at those 3D shoots. You kind of realize where your skill set is at and that you want to improve it. Um, what what have you improved, like as far as um, as your form or changes that you've made recently or execution on animals? Yeah, so uh, for me, the biggest change was this year I went to I, I completely dedicated myself to going to uh, a back tension release. So I'm I'm using um, this silver back that Carter and Dudley make, um, and I, I've had it for a while, but I never really dedicated myself to it. Um, I just found that when it, you know I could I could shoot foam at distance no problem. You know I'm a, I'm 
I'm a pretty good shot. I wouldn't say, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not an elite shooter or anything. I can hit a pie plate at a hundred pretty consistently, but you know, nothing crazy. But, um, but when you put an animal in front of me, it doesn't matter if it's a raccoon or a giant whitetail, I, you know, target panic sets in and it's so difficult for me to not punch the trigger, uh, just on any type of trigger release. So I really dedicated myself to, uh, just using that, back tension release in hunting scenarios and practicing with it. And uh, I've only been small game hunting with it so far. I was actually, uh, every time we go see, we've got a lot of invasives here in Florida. So when we go visit family and friends down south, uh, you can actually hunt iguanas. So it's it's kind of a ridiculous little thing to practice on, but they're tiny targets and they don't let you get very close to them. So um, it's kind of funny, but what I noticed with the, with the back tension releases is, you know, those guys that struggle with target panic, like me, like everything kind of blurs out and you just want to like, it's almost like a get it over with feeling right to release that arrow with the back tension release. The, 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 it has a safety that you pull back and then you release the safety and then you keep pulling, um, until the, it hits that holding weight that makes it fire. Right. And what I've noticed is when I come to full draw, the, the act of letting off of that safety makes my mind focus in on everything. And I, I all of a sudden become very much aware of all of my anchor points again. And it's almost like the, like the blur kind of comes back into focus. Right. And, and just that little act really helps me put everything back together uh, before executing that release. And it's, it's made a really big, I, I just noticed a drastic improvement and, and boost in confidence just going to that. Um, but it took a little while for me to really commit to that. It does take a while. Well, and, and, um, trigger releases are really accurate. They're the easiest releases to get the hang of. They're easy to be accurate with, and and you're a killer with those things. But it, it seems like, uh, it hits all of us the same, that, that brain starts to anticipate that shot and starts to anticipate that pin uh, you know, on the bullseye or in the middle of an animal. And once you start to anticipate that shot, it, your brain doesn't want to allow that pin to go there. So your aiming falls apart. And so all of a sudden you can't hold your pin on the middle of the bullseye and execute a shot. And so, and it doesn't happen when we first start shooting. It happens with building bad habits. And if we would have just shot mm-hmm. a trigger release the right way from the very start, like a back tension style on it, I think we would have been fine. But it seems to get... The majority of guys, I would say, I would say 80 to 90 percent of hunters eventually have to deal with some form of target panic. And some guys can fight their way through it. Uh, but it was the same for me is my pin would always hang at six o'clock and I'd have to fight it up. It always hang low. And I just told myself if I could if I could hold where I wanted this arrow to go, I'd, I'd be one of the best shooters out there. And, and that's how I found, you know, back tension shooting and being able to hold on the middle. And so I'd say that's the biggest thing with it is it just allows your brain to allow you to aim. And you said you were fine on targets, but on animals, you'd want to make it go. So the minute you'd get your pin on the animal and you'd go now. And you'd make it go, and that's just not an accurate way to execute a shot, you know? And so you had to make changes to your game, and same to me. It was like, you know, I did fine shooting a trigger, but if I wanted to get better and really improve on my archery and my shooting, I had to commit to that process. And you have to believe in it wholeheartedly and then go through it, you know, never cheating the release, you know, always making sure you're making that good shot. But I'd say it's the biggest thing is now – 
you know, when I draw back and there's an animal sitting there, my pin goes right to the middle of the vitals and then floats there, you know, and, and for me, it's just taking those couple extra seconds and my, you know, my pin will be floating on the animal. And if I just execute that shot correctly, my, my aiming will start to slow down and center in the middle. And then that shot breaks like it's supposed to, you know, um, it's such a powerful tool when you learn it. And, and then you're able to control it and control that shot process and put that pin where you want it. It just makes you so deadly in the woods. So, yeah, good on you taking the, the journey and really committing to it this season. I, I think you'll, you know, it it's definitely a, a learning curve and takes some time to really get comfortable with. But, again, those form changes are tough but make you better than you, than you ever were before. Absolutely. I mean, there's levels to this, right? There's always another rung on that ladder to go up. And, you know, I, luckily for me, you know, it, it, I had kind of the opposite issue where I would float my pins in the center, kind of center mass, which on a whitetail, unless the thing is completely relaxed at 15 yards, it's going to duck a little bit or, and you're going to hit them high. And, you know, there's a lot of animals on my trail cameras right now missing tufts of hair on their back. Um, you know, so I, I just, I, I made that decision like the, you know, instead of trying to push through with, with the trigger, like, let's just go give it all it's got on the, the tension style release. And, you know, at the end of the, the season, I can always go back to a trigger release, but, you know, so far I'm, I'm really excited to hunt this year with it. And, um, yeah, but other than that, I've been messing with some, uh, different stabilizer setups, which have just gotten ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, I've I've gone through more stabilizers uh, than than there are out there at this point, but um, but that's actually another thing that I think a lot of people kind of over overlook is you know if if you add that that front bar and that side bar in different weight, it can actually impact um, sometimes your paper tuning, but uh, even the torque of your riser uh, and how you hold. And I've had a lot of fun just messing with that during this whole COVID thing. I'm just shooting in my backyard with different setups, and um, I, I've got a, a buddy in South Africa from um, uh, Quattro Archery. They make uh, carbon stabilizers and wood stabilizers, and uh, it's been uh, it's been great working with those guys. And uh, it's it's just been something fun, and you can immediately see the change in your point of aim, point of impact, just by adding you know an ounce here or taking off an ounce there. Um, so that's been a lot of fun too. Yeah, that's that's something. Um... That's a good rabbit hole to, to deep dive into. It makes such a difference on your bow, on your hold, and then also the reaction of your bow after the shot. Yeah. And you can really help eliminate a lot of left and right hits and low or high hits. And, and that's the other thing, too, that I really like about like a back tension style of shooting. And whether that's a hinge or a thumb in a back tension or a true back tension style is um, – you get way more consistent. You get rid of the flyers. All of a sudden, yes. you know, you you don't have good and bad days. They just all kind of blend together, your your hunting skill. And, and same with your groups. You just don't get many out of your groups. And the other thing that I've found, too, is that your your brain can deal with the pressure better. Under high-pressure situations, the, the guy that commits to a shot like that usually comes out on top. You know, it's it, – it's, uh, it's just a real consistent way to shoot, but yeah, I think it's so smart to mess with that and then mess with those stabilizers. Uh, the problem with stabilizers is, is the longer and the more weight, the better that bow's going to shoot. So eventually, you have to find a line of diminishing returns. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, that <laughs> you, you kind of, it's cool. Cause you hit that point and then you're like, all right, I'm never actually going to hike this around the woods. So then you backpedal and, <laughs> and that's kind of what I've found is the it, it's, that's kind of become my mentality for all of my equipment setups is I used to start with looking at the budget options or the cheapest options and then growing from there. But what I found with that is I would always sell myself short because everybody in that, uh, you know, in that market, in that in that kind of price band, they're all trying to make their products seem like the high end products, but they're not. But but at that time, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know, right? So to you, it sounds all good, but you don't really realize the difference between kind of some of those low-end products and some of those high-end products. So what what I've started doing, what I've found really beneficial is anytime I'm researching a new piece of gear, whether it's a new bow, you know, products for, you know, my, my rifle hunting, backpacks, anything, I, I start by looking at the super high-end models and then figure out, okay, well, what features do I actually need and what do I not need? And then scale back from there to a price point that, you know, is within my range. And that way I'm actually getting the most out of the products versus I've wasted a lot of money on, a, you know, a lot of equipment and a lot of gear that just, you know, ends up going to, to my little cousins, you know, or, uh, or whoever else needs it. Um, just cause it, it didn't perform how it was, how it was advertised. Man. Yeah. That's, um, buy once right and cry once you know it's like yeah. uh, when you have to buy multiple times and then um upgrade and step up it seems like you end up spending more in the end yeah that's a that's a good point i you know i've had this archery gear that i've used for so long and so like i i haven't really gone down that rabbit hole and got gear that i'm that i'm not satisfied with or that doesn't work and and sure i try things you know that that I end up going away from or having personal preferences towards other things. But I, I think that's a good point. Research and gear that you got to be careful to not go too inexpensive because you, you do get what you pay for, but in that same breath, sometimes you're paying for a name as well, where there's uh, yes. equally as good a gear out there. Absolutely. Like some of the things, you know, when it comes to accessories, you can get, if you put good accessories on, you know, a budget or mid range bow, um, and there are good ones out there now, you can really get a lot out of it. It's kind of like putting a good scope on like an off the shelf Remington 700 or, you know, name your, your, your price point, uh, gun, right? You, that, that tool, that weapon is probably more accurate than you are. And you're able to get the most out of it. One, assuming your form and everything is correct, right? But if you put good accessories on there, sights and, and stabilizers and, rest don't really change that much year to year they'll last you multiple seasons um and you're gonna you know most people want to change out their bows every couple of years anyway um but you know how many guys are out there still shooting the same sights that they had almost a decade ago um so yeah it's definitely worth it and, and clothes too that's a big thing that i started investing in i think it might have been your podcast with barklow uh, that kind of got me rethinking how I was doing my layering systems, and I switched from uh, synthetic to wool base layers, uh, and it made such a big difference because, um, you know, I, I, so I live in Florida most of the year, but I hunt up in the Northeast and the Midwest, uh, so, you know, I, I get I catch a chill real quick, but I noticed the, the last year changing up those clothing systems, investing in some high-end base layers uh, it just, my comfort level was so much more and you can wear them more because they don't wear out as much as some of the, the cheaper stuff that I was buying. 
um, and having to replace at the end of the season anyway. Yeah, that's that's smart. Like uh, those clothing clothing systems and layering systems, they matter and make a difference. They just keep you comfortable in the woods and in the mountains, and especially like some of these backpack hunts where your life depends on on your safety like you're out there going for it and you're going to have to ride out storms and uh adverse weather conditions and cold and things and so you're really reliant upon those clothes and i know same thing in the midwest dude i've never been so cold as sitting in a tree stand totally still like that is brutal you know at least out west i get to move and uh use some of my body warmth but sitting in those stands absolutely still like that man i had everything on i I own just to keep warm out there. So it's so important, especially when you're doing those all day sits or like out here out West, um, having the right clothing. I mean, it could really be life or death and it really could in the mountains. Yeah. There's nothing worse than when you're hunting out of a tree stand and you know, it's getting right to that, that end of the day where things start getting hot again. And you got to start doing some tree stand Pilates just to keep warm. You you don't want to be doing that. Right. So uh, I, I know for, for me, base layers has been the biggest change having a, a good lightweight pair of base layers because I can wear that system, whether it's 100 degrees here in Florida and I'm hunting hogs or whatever it is, to then I keep that same lightweight base layer when I go uh, up north because the lightweight wicks that moisture away from my body and it keeps my core temperature regulated. So you get the most bang for your buck if you just invest in that. And it's not cheap, but it's so worth it because it just makes your hunting so much more comfortable. And if you're comfortable, you're going to be more effective. Absolutely. So uh, those base layers made a huge difference from you. Like uh, not going um, – you got away from like cheap base layers or inexpensive base layers or synthetics. And now the wool, you're getting a lot of benefit out of it, uh, uh, mostly for cold weather. Uh, yeah, for I mean, really for both. Like uh, I use the the uh, I, I've got a mixture of a couple of different brands, but the um, just because I, I like to try different stuff. But um, plus, it's so hot that like you sweat right through it. So I'll go through two shirts in a day sometimes, depending on what we're doing. But like that core lightweight hoodie from Sika um, is great because I can wear that. It's got the hood, it's got the face mask. So it, it, you know, it keeps me out of the sun when it's super super hot. But then also I can wear that early season usually through to November because there's still leaves on the trees for the most part. Um, and then, you know, as it gets colder, I can just layer on top of that, but, uh, but it, it wicks away. And that's more of like a, the synthetic piece, but they're lightweight um, crew tops too. Um, and there are other companies that, that have good ones as well, but having those lightweight crew, the, the Merino is nice because even if it gets wet, I've noticed it keeps you, it still keeps you warm, uh, versus some of the synthetics and also the the merino's nice because it doesn't smell like even when it's super hot down here i smell but if i take my shirt off my shirt's not retaining any of that odor um it's just a it's just a great great quality i'm big fan of i've become a really big fan of that merino yeah it's an amazing product isn't it the um yeah just like what you said using that core lightweight hoodie or the merino as a base layer um, it keeps you cool in the summertime. They breathe, and and a lot of sunstroke, uh, you know, isn't just about the temperature. It's also about sun exposure. And so yeah. a lot of people see me covered up in the sun. You know, I'll cover up my hands and my my face and have a hood on and things. But 
it's to limit that sun exposure. That sun is just brutal. You know, even where I live at 6,000 feet, but some of these hunts at 13,000 feet, uh, that sun is intense. If you had the backs of your hands out glassing for one day, you'll fry the backs of your hands, you know. And so covering up in that stuff, but then having it breathable, the air moves through it and cools that sweat. It's how us humans were designed. Like one of our, our biggest advantages in hunting you know, is being able to sweat through our skin and cool ourselves down. And so, yeah, during the heat, those, those shirts, they sure exemplify that, you know, letting that breeze blow through there. And I always I always think it's crazy. Um, you know, I've heard these stories about our ancestors hunting, and, and some of the first hunters that were humans would actually use endurance to run down these animals. So on the plains of Africa, they would chase these different species, these antelope, and they just run after them all day long. And they could sweat through their skin, but the animals had to pant to cool themselves. And eventually, they would run them till they got heat stroke, and they would stand out there, and then they couldn't move. They were frozen, and then the hunters would be able to kill them with spears, all just by being able to sweat through our pores, through our skin. And so, yeah, those, those shirts sure help that, and I absolutely love them for hot weather hunts. Yeah, nothing will make you feel softer than hearing stories like that, right? We've got all this Gucci gear that we get to wear into the woods, and meanwhile, our ancestors were literally just chasing things down on foot. Yeah, can you imagine? Or even, you know, even my grandfather, for that matter, hunting the Pacific Northwest in flannels and jeans and absolutely going for it, or or my dad, for that matter. Like, they just built real men back then, but... Uh, yes. You know, it, it's our advantage in the in in the day and time we live in, in the information day and time, and then the gear has just improved so much, which which helps us be safer and and be able to 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 push harder and not be soaking wet through the whole thing, you know, because it gets downright dangerous when you get wet, like even in warm climates like where you're at. If you don't, you know, in Florida, if you don't bring the right gear and some of those rainstorms come in, you can go hyperthermic pretty quick. Absolutely. And, and even on top of that, having something lightweight, because before that sun comes up, there's about an hour where you're just mosquito infested. So just being able to throw that light, extra layer on top too makes a tremendous difference. And having that face mask, because you literally anything exposed, it'll get bitten up. Um, and, uh, you know, and now with COVID having that built in face mask, you can just wear it to the grocery store after. So it's really an all day piece of time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Multi-purpose. Yeah. Yeah. God, <laughs> such a crazy time for sure. But all we can do is just keep managing as it comes and use that face mask so we can go into the grocery store. That's it. Yeah. I mean, you'll get some looks for, uh, you know, wearing uh, your subalpine to the grocery store, but hey, it, it looks cool no matter what, right? God, that subalpine is such a great pattern for Western hunting, too. There was a handful of years where I used solid colors, and I've always said animals see movement far beyond anything else. They catch movement. That's what their eyes are keyed in on. But that, that subalpine, like, I think it gives me an advantage in the mountains. So I've gone away from the solid colors and used that subalpine. And, yeah, I think just holding still, you know, you can just blend in a little bit better. You know, it just gives you – it gives you a little bit of forgiveness with your with your camouflaging into the mountain, you know. But I, I love that subalpine pattern with those browns in it. It seems to really tie in good with – with western style hunting but then even the greens in the springtime and i've used it in hawaii and you just disappear in hawaii it's just a really good color scheme 
It really is. As far as like camo patterns go, I, I haven't found one that's better. I mean, we where we are, it's basically a tropical forest and we disappear. Like if you're glassing, like we'll lose each other if we don't raise a hand up. It really is crazy how well that stuff performs. Um, just in that greens really seem to help a lot uh, versus a lot of the other camo patterns out there. Because we're dealing with a lot of like palm trees and things like that. And you just mesh in, you just disappear into it. It's pretty crazy. But they did a phenomenal, phenomenal job with that pattern. Yeah, pattern stand up. I, I'm a big fan of uh, the solids too. Though. I, I always tell guys if you're not sure like what direction or what brand or if you need a mix and match, just those those solid colors you can't go wrong with. But if you know there's a camo pattern that works for for the environment you're in, um, I, I agree. It definitely makes a difference. And sometimes it, it might just be that extra second or two where the the animal's not on high alert just because it it's not aware anything is there. You know. Well, and I can't count how many times that animals look at me, even animals that don't oh, know yeah. I'm there. You know, they look up in your direction. Those those ungulates are constantly looking for danger. They spend their whole life looking for danger. And so as they look around, a lot of times a giant mule deer buck, he'll get out of his bed and he'll walk out and then he'll whip his head around and look right at me like he's staring at my soul. And, and if I just stay still and I don't move and I wait him out because I know he doesn't know I'm there, he goes back to doing what he's doing or even for that matter aj like like hunting elk sometimes they just catch you move a little bit because you're always having to move with the herd and so a cow might pick up some movement all of a sudden you see her and she whips her head over and looks at you but boy if you just stay frozen there and it may take five minutes maybe 10 minutes and i'm sure you run into this with whitetails too all of a sudden that cow she she kind of doesn't trust what she just saw and she'll kind of go back to feeding you know and go back to being an elk but it's amazing uh, like you, like you say, maybe it makes a difference or not, but I think it just gives me that little bit of edge that I may get, you know, away with a, a little bit more movement or they don't pick me up, which might be the difference of killing that big buck or not. Oh, definitely. I mean, we see it here, especially where we really notice the difference is turkey hunting in the, in the spring, um, for Osceolos. They're the, they're a small bird and they're the smartest of the, the turkey species. I mean, I'm not a scientist, according to biologists, they're the smartest of the, the turkey species. But, you know, they, everything's jumpy because they've got to worry about coyotes, panthers, bears, alligators. So, they're just extra jumpy down here. And, I mean, we've gotten away with a lot of movement that I don't, I, I like as somebody who grew up in the the northeast hunting turkeys, I wouldn't have been able to get away with that there. I, it's just it's pretty incredible. Um, it really it really does help when you're dealing with animals like that that are just so switched on. Yep, and reliant upon their their eyesight for danger. Turkeys can't smell, so they're they're all eyesight. You know, similar to you know antelope can smell, but boy, they really use their eyes to pick up danger. You know, and and some of these elk even. In, yeah, that's, in, uh, that's one of those hunts that's definitely... Oh, dude, you'd love it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, no worries. Uh, dude, you'd love it. Antelope hunting is so fun. But yeah, they definitely use their eyes to their advantage. And same thing with elk in open country. You know, they they really use their eyes to, to pick up danger. And so, um, yeah, it, it does help. That's for sure. Yeah, this year, uh, we're kind of... COVID threw a bit of a wrench into some of the plans, so... Uh, the this fall we're kind of i'm going back to basics going to 
be uh, hunting some public land down here, but then also taking some time to just do some urban hunting actually up in uh, Long Island, New York, where, where I grew up. And then uh, our family's got a little bit of property in the Catskills that we always go hunting with family. So I'll be up there for at least a week doing some, some whitetail hunting, but uh, at probably either next year or the year after, definitely going to be making my way out West a bit for, uh, for some antelope and for whatever reason mule deer just really speaks to me i just really want to go on a, a nice uh mule deer hunt well for good reason they're awesome to hunt yeah well when you start making some plans get a hold of me and i can help out with that with that game plan out west here but man that's just awesome so closing out aj like if you could give some tips to guys like what's some of the biggest things that you've learned working on your bows or some of the biggest challenges that you face that you've been over to come to kind of set guys up for success? Let's say, you know, don't be married to any ideas. Just have an open mind and always seek wisdom, taking as much information from as many sources as you can, and then try and, you know, apply and mess with uh, different systems and find what works best for you. Some, you know, the, some people dive down the rabbit hole a little deeper when it comes to building their arrows, and some people find that they just don't have to. And uh, I think it really, uh, it really comes down to, you know, like we keep saying, like getting hands on and just taking in information and applying it, um, and and just becoming proficient with what you have now. Because if you don't, if you don't know what you have right now, you're gonna end up wasting money pursuing things that might not be right to you for you to begin with. So. Um, I would really encourage people to to just get hands on, seek wisdom, listen to guys like you, listen to some of the other podcasts and and um, you know tutorials and videos and and Instagram pages out there, and uh, start applying that, learn their systems, and then figure out kind of what changes do they need to make um, to get the most out of what they're doing. Man, yeah, you couldn't give better advice for for archers, and I. And I think it it is just getting started. It's just getting going and getting doing it. And then it it's also putting those arrows through a bow day in day out. It's working yeah. on your own form and your, it, you know, like you could weigh every single arrow, every single point, and get everything within one grain. But I don't shoot good enough to tell the difference. You know, for me, yes. two to three grains that's within inside my tolerance levels. You know, because I I know my shooting, but I I really work on that shooting profici- proficiency. You know, so. So I can I can make changes to my form that I think are necessary that are going to improve my shooting and, and then just believing in it. But, man, I, I think you're spot on and I think you're such a valuable resource for uh, new archers and intermediate intermediate archers that are looking at at working at the, on their own stuff. Because really, you know, like you've said a couple times, there's levels to this game and everybody can up their level. And that's including me. Like uh, we do need to just be students of the game. And really, you know, listen to these guys that that are good because everybody's got different theories on things and you can learn something from everybody, you know. And so uh, especially in today's day and age, the information day and age, there's so much great stuff out there. But, um, man, I think you're doing a service to bow hunters. That's for sure. Well, that's uh, that means a lot, Brian, because listen, I don't think you get enough credit for I, I mean, I've been following you for a while now and it seems like everywhere you go, you're consistently 
killing quality stuff and it's it's really really impressive and like i said i've been a fan of the the podcast for a while listening to you guys on my way home from work so um you know when you offered to have me on it was uh it's an, been an honor for sure so looking forward to um hopefully uh you know continuing to be a resource for everyone out there and, and like you said definitely you know get out and, and sling arrows and if we can help uh, inspire people to, to do that. That's number one, because, uh, yeah, like you said, if you don't know how to shoot, it's tuning isn't going to do you any good. So yeah, it's spot on. Well, uh, thank you, sir. I really enjoyed the conversation and getting to meet you. Uh, keep in touch with me. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, Brian. Okay. Thank you. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Uh, fun conversation with AJ. Uh, you can tell he's dedicated to his craft. He puts out a bunch of great content, and uh, I'm really happy I got to meet him. You know, I think that's really the key to to getting better at archery is is going deep down the rabbit hole of understanding your bow and how it works. And you know, we can't all just jump in and start twisting strings on our bow. It's uh, how I learned, and I gosh, I made a mistake the other day. Um, so uh, let's see what. What was it? Um, so I basically, I, I busted a string on my Y cable. So I've made mistakes. And, um, you know, I probably pressed 200 bows, you know, mostly my own, but uh, a lot of my buddies and friends and things and worked on them. And I did it the other day. Uh, my my peep, I had to retie in. So basically my string loop and I tie serving on top of it and on bottom of it and I leave a space so that way my knock can swivel within my string and it doesn't get stuck in one path. Basically, when I shoot extremely downhill, it won't pick my arrow off the rest. Uh, also, when I draw back, it won't slide my arrow all the way to one side of the rest and possibly shoot to the left side or to the right side of center. Um, so I retied that in, retied a different string loop, and um, my peep just had barely any rotation. So I thought, well, I'll just put a half twist in it. And, um, you know, maybe it's the whole season of being hot and cold, being damp, being wet, whatever the case is. And so put a half twist in it, depressed it, went to pull it back. And my Y cable that usually sits around a part of my cam that, that free swivels, it must have, when I unpressed my bow, it must have caught the edge of it. And so when I pulled back my bow the first time, it swiveled off that and uh, snapped a couple strands. So right in the middle of season, my bow is absolutely dialed. It's been shooting so well, and uh, I bust a string. So I had to go back through. Luckily, um, I had a, a string sitting around. Um, my buddy Phil runs pronghorn strings, and so he had built me a string a while ago. And I'm not sure if this was for this bow or from the verdicts, but it was the same measurement for that Y cable. And so I was able to put it on there, a couple twists of the string, make sure things are in time, paper tune it again, and uh, I'm, I'm back to shooting it. But, oh, my gosh, I hate making those stupid mistakes. But it can happen so quick. There's so much energy and power in these bows. And you get one string wrong or you, you don't double check. And I always make sure that my string, you know, is inside my cams when I depress but now I have to check all those Y cables. So it's another checks and balances. And, you know, part of working on your bow is making mistakes. And it's like anything can be fixed. And, um, you know, you can get through anything. But, uh, yeah, I sure felt stupid making a mistake like that when my bow was so dialed in. Um, but but it's all good now. I got it fixed. But, yeah, I, I just think that's the, the key uh, to being a better archer is understanding what's going on with your bow 
And, um, and and then also, you know, practicing proper execution, good practice, like it all comes into play. It's all about making these high pressure shots. So anyways, fascinating conversation with AJ and um, thank our sponsors, Swagger Bipods. Again, put in that promo code Brian Barney, you'll get 20% off. Being an accurate rifle shot is all about your rest. And I truly believe Swagger builds the best rest on the market. So check out them. Also check out Six Hour Optics. Uh, I, I love their binoculars. Uh, I love their spotting scope, range finders. Uh, they're just building the highest quality optics for a mid-range price, which I just think is awesome. So check those guys out. Check out everything we've got going on over there at Eastman's. And um, yeah, get this podcast out. I'm going to do a solo as well. Um, just harvested my best bull to date. Just an absolutely amazing season. Um, Man, I'm so fortunate. I've had so much fun. And and I just want to continue to share with you guys and continue to stay hungry. I've got a couple hunts left this year. I've still got an antelope tag. The the rifle antelope season is open, so it's definitely going to make it a little bit more challenging with my bow. Uh, But up for the challenge and get a few days and I'll be chasing some pronghorns around. Or just add that on top of other hunts I'm on or other locations I'm going to if I see a pronghorn put on a stock. And I've gone, well, ever since 2006, I've harvested one with my bow. And uh, this would be the first year I haven't. So um, pressure's on to get one of those. And, you know, if it doesn't happen, I've I've had the season of my dreams. It's not that big a deal. And, and for me anymore, like a lot of times my goal was to fill all my tags. And it's not anymore. It's um, to fill my tags with quality critters. And, and so I'll be holding out for a real good one. Uh, even though I love antelope meat, I've got a lot of elk meat in the freezer and, uh, be sitting good for the next year. So I'm extremely fortunate. And, um, so yeah, I'm going to hunt those. I've got a mule deer hunt, uh, here in my home state. And then I, I've also got a traveling one in January. So a couple more hunts coming up, but back to work, back getting out these podcasts, uh, back working on my hunting stuff and then also working on construction and things and, Man, these seasons, they just give me such great reflection on my life. Um, Man, I I am just, um, I'm absolutely elated. You know, all this hard work and dedication, discipline, day after day of putting in the work, um, it, you know, hard work pays off. And uh, it, it's so nice to to reap the rewards and reap the benefits. And I just want to stay hungry and continue to work and and push it. I, I think, um, you know, this isn't the end for me. This is just the beginning. Uh, use this as a stepping stone to continue to get better and continue to improve. And, and um, you know, this just reiterates that, that um, what I believe in with my, my archery and what I believe in and my fitness and like, like all this stuff is, is working like it's supposed to. And so, um, man, I'm just pumped beyond belief. Really pumped for your guys' success this season and uh, really having a lot of fun with this podcast. So I've got some great recordings coming up and uh, man, I appreciate you guys. Um, you guys are the the reason why this podcast goes. So um, really appreciate you guys. Good hunting to you for the rest of the season. And uh, we'll get this solo out later this week and uh, another good podcast coming up for next week. So thanks, you guys. <laughs>